Section nine of the Common Reader. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bruce Peary. The Common Reader by Virginia Woolf. Defoe. The fear which attacks the recorder of centenaries, lest he should find himself measuring a diminishing spectre and forced to foretell its approaching dissolution, is not only absent in the case of Robinson Crusoe, but the mere thought of it is ridiculous. It may be true that Robinson Crusoe is two hundred years of age upon the twenty-fifth of April, nineteen nineteen but far from raising the familiar speculations as to whether people now read it and will continue to read it the effect of the bicentenary is to make us marvel that robinson crusoe the perennial and immortal should have been in existence so short a time as that the book resembles one of the anonymous productions of the race itself rather than the effort of a single mind and as for celebrating its centenary we should as soon think of celebrating the centenaries of stonehenge itself something of this we may attribute to the fact that we have all had robinson crusoe read aloud to us as children and were thus much in the same state of mind towards defoe and his story that the greeks were in towards homer it never occurred to us that there was such a person as defoe and to have been told that robinson crusoe was the work of a man with a pen in his hand would either have disturbed us unpleasantly or meant nothing at all the impressions of childhood are those that last longest and cut deepest it still seems that the name of daniel defoe has no right to appear upon the title-page of robinson crusoe and if we celebrate the bicentenary of the book we are making a slightly unnecessary allusion to the fact that like stonehenge it is still in existence the great fame of the book has done its author some injustice for while it has given him a kind of anonymous glory it has obscured the fact that he was a writer of other works which it is safe to assert were not read aloud to us as children thus when the editor of the christian world in the year eighteen seventy appealed to the boys and girls of england to erect a monument upon the grave of defoe which a stroke of lightning had mutilated the marble was inscribed to the memory of the author of robinson crusoe no mention was made of moll flanders considering the topics which are dealt with in that book and in roxana captain singleton colonel jack and the rest we need not be surprised though we may be indignant at the omission we may agree with mr wright the biographer of defoe that these are not works for the drawing-room table but unless we consent to make that useful piece of furniture the final arbiter of taste we must deplore the fact that their superficial coarseness or the universal celebrity of robinson crusoe has led them to be far less widely famed than they deserve on any monument worthy of the name of monument the names of moll flanders and roxana at least should be carved as deeply as the name of defoe they stand among the few english novels which we can call indisputably great 
the occasion of the bicentenary of their more famous companion may well lead us to consider in what their greatness which has so much in common with his may be found to consist defoe was an elderly man when he turned novelist many years the predecessor of richardson and fielding and one of the first indeed to shape the novel and launch it on its way but it is unnecessary to labour the fact of his precedence except that he came to his novel-writing with certain conceptions about the art which he derived partly from being himself one of the first to practise it the novel had to justify its existence by telling a true story and preaching a sound moral this supplying a story by invention is certainly a most scandalous crime he wrote it is a sort of lying that makes a great hole in the heart in which by degrees a habit of lying enters in either in the preface or in the text of each of his works therefore he takes pains to insist that he has not used his invention at all but has depended upon facts and that his purpose has been the highly moral desire to convert the vicious or to warn the innocent happily these were principles that tallied very well with his natural disposition and endowments facts had been drilled into him by sixty years of varying fortunes before he turned his experience to account in fiction i have some time ago summed up the scenes of my life in this distich he wrote no man has tasted differing fortunes more and thirteen times i have been rich and poor he had spent eighteen months in newgate and talked with thieves pirates highwaymen and coiners before he wrote the history of moll flanders but to have facts thrust upon you by dint of living and accident is one thing to swallow them voraciously and retain the imprint of them indelibly is another it is not merely that defoe knew the stress of poverty and had talked with the victims of it but that the unsheltered life exposed to circumstances and forced to shift for itself appealed to him imaginatively as the right matter for his art on the first pages of each of his great novels he reduces his hero or heroine to such a state of unfriended misery that their existence must be a continued struggle and their survival at all the result of luck and their own exertions moll flanders was born in newgate of a criminal mother captain singleton was stolen as a child and sold to the gypsies colonel jack though born a gentleman was put prentice to a pickpocket roxana starts under better auspices but having married at fifteen she sees her husband go bankrupt and is left with five children in a condition the most deplorable that words can express thus each of these boys and girls has the world to begin and the battle to fight for himself the situation thus created was entirely to defoe's liking from her very birth or within half a year's respite at most moll flanders the most notable of them is goaded by that worst of devils poverty 
forced to earn her living as soon as she can sew driven from place to place making no demands upon her creator for the subtle domestic atmosphere which he was unable to supply but drawing upon him for all he knew of strange people and customs from the outset the burden of proving her right to exist is laid upon her she has to depend entirely upon her own wits and judgment and to deal with each emergency as it arises by a rule of thumb morality which she has forged in her own head the briskness of the story is due partly to the fact that having transgressed the accepted laws at a very early age she has henceforth the freedom of the outcast the one impossible event is that she should settle down in comfort and security but from the first the peculiar genius of the author asserts itself and avoids the obvious danger of the novel of adventure he makes us understand that moll flanders was a woman on her own account and not only material for a succession of adventures in proof of this she begins as roxana also begins by falling passionately if unfortunately in love that she must rouse herself and marry some one else and look very closely to her settlements and prospects is no slight upon her passion but to be laid to the charge of her birth and like all defoe's women she is a person of robust understanding since she makes no scruple of telling lies when they serve her purpose there is something undeniable about her truth when she speaks it she has no time to waste upon the refinements of personal affection one tear is dropped one moment of despair allowed and then on with the story she has a spirit that loves to breast the storm she delights in the exercise of her own powers when she discovers that the man she has married in virginia is her own brother she is violently disgusted she insists upon leaving him but as soon as she sets foot in bristol i took the diversion of going to bath for as i was still far from being old so my humour which was always gay continued so to an extreme heartless she is not nor can any one charge her with levity but life delights her and a heroine who lives has us all in tow moreover her ambition has that slight strain of imagination in it which puts it in the category of the noble passions shrewd and practical of necessity she is yet haunted by a desire for romance and for the quality which to her perception makes a man a gentleman it was really a true gallant spirit he was of and it was the more grievous to me tis something of relief even to be undone by a man of honour rather than by a scoundrel she writes when she had misled a highwayman as to the extent of her fortune it is in keeping with this temper that she should be proud of her final partner because he refuses to work when they reach the plantations but prefers hunting and that she should take pleasure in buying him wigs and silver-hilted swords to make him appear as he really was a very fine gentleman 
her very love of hot weather is in keeping and the passion with which she kissed the ground that her son had trod on and her noble tolerance of every kind of fault so long as it is not complete baseness of spirit imperious cruel and relentless when uppermost abject and low-spirited when down for the rest of the world she has nothing but goodwill since the list of the qualities and graces of this seasoned old sinner is by no means exhausted we can well understand how it was that borrow's apple-woman on london bridge called her blessed mary and valued her book above all the apples on her stall and that borrow taking the book deep into the booth read till his eyes ached but we dwell upon such signs of character only by way of proof that the creator of moll flanders was not as he has been accused of being a mere journalist and literal recorder of facts with no conception of the nature of psychology it is true that his characters take shape and substance of their own accord as if in despite of the author and not altogether to his liking he never lingers or stresses any point of subtlety or pathos but presses on imperturbably as if they came there without his knowledge a touch of imagination such as that when the prince sits by his son's cradle and roxana observes how he loved to look at it when it was asleep seems to mean much more to us than to him after the curiously modern dissertation upon the need of communicating matters of importance to a second person lest like the thief in newgate we should talk of it in our sleep he apologizes for his digression he seems to have taken his characters so deeply into his mind that he lived them without exactly knowing how and like all unconscious artists he leaves more gold in his work than his own generation was able to bring to the surface the interpretation that we put on his characters might therefore well have puzzled him we find for ourselves meanings which he was careful to disguise even from himself thus it comes about that we admire moll flanders far more than we blame her nor can we believe that defoe had made up his mind as to the precise degree of her guilt or was unaware that in considering the lives of the abandoned he raised many deep questions and hinted if he did not state answers quite at variance with his professions of belief from the evidence supplied by his essay upon the education of women we know that he had thought deeply and much in advance of his age upon the capacities of women which he rated very high and the injustice done to them which he rated very harsh i have often thought of it as one of the most barbarous customs in the world considering us as a civilized and a christian country that we deny the advantages of learning to women we reproach the sex every day with folly and impertinence which i am confident had they the advantages of education equal to us they would be guilty of less than ourselves the advocates of women's rights would hardly care perhaps to claim moll flanders and roxana among their patron saints 
and yet it is clear that defoe not only intended them to speak some very modern doctrines upon the subject but placed them in circumstances where their peculiar hardships are displayed in such a way as to elicit our sympathy courage said moll flanders was what women needed and the power to stand their ground and at once gave practical demonstration of the benefits that would result roxana a lady of the same profession argues more subtly against the slavery of marriage she had started a new thing in the world the merchant told her it was a way of arguing contrary to the general practice but defoe is the last writer to be guilty of bald preaching roxana keeps our attention because she is blessedly unconscious that she is in any good sense an example to her sex and is thus at liberty to own that part of her argument is of an elevated strain which was really not in my thoughts at first at all the knowledge of her own frailties and the honest questioning of her own motives which that knowledge begets have the happy result of keeping her fresh and human when the martyrs and pioneers of so many problem novels have shrunken and shrivelled to the pegs and props of their respective creeds but the claim of defoe upon our admiration does not rest upon the fact that he can be shown to have anticipated some of the views of meredith or to have written scenes which the odd suggestion occurs might have been turned into plays by ibsen whatever his ideas upon the position of women they are an incidental result of his chief virtue which is that he deals with the important and lasting side of things and not with the passing and trivial he is often dull he can imitate the matter-of-fact precision of a scientific traveller until we wonder that his pen could trace or his brain conceive what has not even the excuse of truth to soften its dryness he leaves out the whole of vegetable nature and a large part of human nature all this we may admit though we have to admit defects as grave in many writers whom we call great but that does not impair the peculiar merit of what remains having at the outset limited his scope and confined his ambitions he achieves a truth of insight which is far rarer and more enduring than the truth of fact which he professed to make his aim moll flanders and her friends recommended themselves to him not because they were as we should say picturesque nor as he affirmed because they were examples of evil living by which the public might profit it was their natural veracity bred in them by a life of hardship that excited his interest for them there were no excuses no kindly shelter obscured their motives poverty was their taskmaster defoe did not pronounce more than a judgment of the lips upon their failings but their courage and resource and tenacity delighted him he found their society full of good talk and pleasant stories and faith in each other and morality of a home-made kind their fortunes had that infinite variety which he praised and relished and beheld with wonder in his own life 
these men and women above all were free to talk openly of the passions and desires which have moved men and women since the beginning of time and thus even now they keep their vitality undiminished there is a dignity in everything that is looked at openly even the sordid subject of money which plays so large a part in their histories becomes not sordid but tragic when it stands not for ease and consequence but for honour honesty and life itself you may object that defoe is humdrum but never that he is engrossed with petty things he belongs indeed to the school of the great plain writers whose work is founded upon a knowledge of what is most persistent though not most seductive in human nature the view of london from hungerford bridge gray serious massive and full of the subdued stir of traffic and business prosaic if it were not for the masts of the ships and the towers and domes of the city brings him to mind the tattered girls with violets in their hands at the street corners and the old weather-beaten women patiently displaying their matches and bootlaces beneath the shelter of arches seem like characters from his books he is of the school of crab and of gissing and not merely a fellow-pupil in the same stern place of learning but its founder and master End of section 9